0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free, or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. Your first Ben Jarofsky show for the year 2020, by the way. In the year 2020. Ah, oh, boy. <laughs> but before we get into hour number two, we'd like to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. That's correct. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, sponsored this program, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. We thank those unions quite a bit for sponsoring this show and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, January 2nd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we're talking with Robin Peterson of the Democratic Socialists of America. And now your host,
2: Chicago Reader columnist... Ben Jarofsky. Robin Peterson in the studio. I can't remember who it was that said, Ben, you got to get Robin Peterson in your show. I can't remember who it was, Robin Ah, Peterson. Was it it Micah? I don't know. It doesn't matter. So I immediately, dutifully, called her up, cut a deal. She's here in the show. She's going to be talking politics. Uh, Chicago co-chair of the Chicago Democratic Socialist. Uh, Chicago is sort of like a ground zero of the Democratic Socialists. We got, I think, six by my count in Chicago City Council. Did I have that right? Six? Okay. Yep. Uh And uh, so a lot to talk about politically speaking with Robin. Before we do that, D, you got an update for me? Yeah, have an update for you here,
1: Ben. First off, it's a 2020 Democratic Presidential Candidate Update. You talked about it briefly with Miles Camp Lassen. Uh, by the way, if you're on the download, go download hour number one if you've yet to, because that's a great interview with Miles Camp Lassen. All right, former Obama Housing Secretary Julian Castro on Thursday ended his run for president that pushed the 2020 field on immigration and swung hard at rivals on the debate stage, but never found a foothold to climb from the back of the pack. So
2: Julian Castro is out of the race, Ben. Your thoughts? Well, it was a long shot uh, to begin with, because it, obviously he didn't have the name recognition of Bernie. He didn't have the money uh, and connections of, let's say, Uh, Joe Biden Uh, and uh, he was coming at it from the left as opposed to Pete Buttigieg who was coming at it from the center so Pete uh, could get the young uh, centrist vote like just for a thought there you're young and you're a centrist I mean like when you're young you should be you should be a socialist when you're young the old convention is that the older you get the more conservative you get I'm just on a tangent here with a tangent but the older you get the more conservative you get so like Pete Buttigieg is, this is my issue with Pete. He's already a centrist. Good God. What's he going to do? Turn into a right winger by the time he's 70? Uh, anyway, as soon as I say this, I realize that most of Pete Buttigieg's or many of Pete Buttigieg's supporters are of the older persuasion. Uh, so maybe he's onto to something appealing to old people anyway. But uh, yeah, Castro was never able to get a, a, a foothold in it. I appreciate him tremendously. We've talked about every single debate. Uh, after every show, we break down the debate with Leticia Wallace, and Amina Mustafa. And um, I appreciate Castro from the first debate. He was the one, if you can go back in time, what was it? June D? I can't remember. I've lost track of June. Oh, boy. Really? Uh, Can't remember. Yeah. Hmm. June or July or August. Ah, That's all a blur. Uh, The summer was a blur. But that first Democratic debate, uh, he was the one who raised the issue about the intricacies of immigration law. There was a provision in the code that made it illegal and treated it as a crime for somebody to come across the border. And he took the the stand that we should abolish uh, abolish that uh, provision from the law so it was no longer criminally treated for somebody to be an immigrant to this country, a quote-unquote illegal immigrant, uh, and I appreciated him because, as a kind of guy, who like takes the deep dive and. Uh, Chicago politics. I appreciated a candidate who was willing to take a deep dive uh, into sort of like the labyrinth of laws that govern something as complicated and as easily to distort and demagogue as immigration. Talking about a specific law. He drew attention to a very specific law. And then, of course, it went nowhere. <laughs> uh, I guess it's a sure sign that a campaign's not going to go anywhere if I'm the one singing the praise of the campaign. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you need money folks uh, to run in this country. I guess that's obvious. Well, Castro is out of the
1: race. Ben said he needs money. Well, this following candidate here has quite a bit of money. Andrew Yang has raised $16.5 million in the last three months. Donations to Yang in the fourth quarter of 2019 were his highest in any such period. And this puts him among the top fundraisers in the Democratic presidential field. Uh, Come from behind here, this uh, Andrew
2: Yang. Yeah. Okay, but there's a difference. Andrew Yang and Castro, and I follow both of these campaigns. Castro was a conventional politician. This is not his first run for office. He held office before. Uh, he was working within the parameters of conventional Democratic politics, more or less. He was more on the left side of it. Uh, so just think about that. And then he was just one of many uh, in that category. I'm thinking uh, Andrew Yang is an uh, unconventional Democratic candidate. He's never run for any other office. He's running his first time out of the box. He's running for president of the United States. Uh, and he's doing it, presenting himself. Without at- a tie. Without a tie, is that like whoa? Yeah, like so. Anybody who hates ties is already like you know vibing on them, and I don't like ties either. So that was like, and they had the button that said math, and he was so he had a quirky sense of humor. Uh, so you know, you could argue that Castro was uh, more embedded with reality of what people are facing. But maybe there's a segment of the Democratic Party or in politics in general general that wants something that's just new and different. And so uh, Yang uh, is sort of represents that. Robin, your thoughts on all this?
0: I think he's getting some of the techies. My brother's one of those people. So
2: Your brother's a yeah. techie? Yeah. And he's for Yang?
0: He's not for Yang. He's for Bernie. But uh, he's talking about automation and that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, by the way, and so that's something else about Andrew Yang that I appreciate. The tie was one, the math button was two, uh, the sense of humor was three, but he was also talking about the impact, and this is I think his greatest contribution, I talked about Castro's greatest contribution was uh, the discussion of immigration. Yang's discussion, the impact that automation will have on the workforce, and the fact of the matter that so many people proclaim it is a great advance when when we can eliminate jobs due to to, uh, computer technology, The reality is that has a devastating impact on the people who have the jobs that are being eliminated. At least Andrew Yang is discussing that. So anyway, I don't know if the people giving him all that money, though, are doing it because of the tie, uh, the math button, the quirky sense of humor, or his discussion of automation and the impact it's having on the economy. $1,000 a month, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget $1,000 a month. Yeah. So So those are the updates. We'll keep you posted on
1: any uh, 2020 Democratic presidential uh, candidate updates or anything locally
2: uh, as today's program rolls along. All right. Very good. Uh, Robin Peterson, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: And uh, you're the co-chair of the Chicago Democratic Socialists. Uh, Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you got to this position. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself. It's your first time on our show. So introduce yourself to our listeners.
0: Yeah. uh, So... I'm one of those folks who graduated college during the Great Recession um, and was politicized by material conditions of not all my myself and a lot of my friends had a hard time finding, being employed um, and uh, and then my first job was working at a school um, and that was the year the teachers went on strike and then ROM closed 50 schools and the school I worked at happened to be one of those. So um, I think my personal story is a lot like a lot of other millennials uh, where we just saw after kind of feeling, being kids and thinking, well, maybe the system will take care of us, seeing no, it's definitely not going to do that. It's not gonna be there for us and it doesn't work for us at all. It works, but not for us. Um, So I think It was a combination of that and then very directly seen during the teacher strike, the power of workers going on strike. And then the way Rom was closing these schools that really um, communities relied on as a way of uh, dismantling those communities. And that's kind of how I got into organizing was by working with the parents at the school to try to keep that school open. But at that time, there wasn't a pre-existing organization. So unfortunately, that school, Bethune, was closed.
2: Mm. And uh, so were you, was, who was the first politician that inspired you, or was there, was there a politician that inspired you?
0: Uh, well, Bernie was inspiring. I wasn't um, deeply involved at that point, but I did phone bang for Bernie during his last run. Not Barack Obama. Um, Also, Obama, I didn't volunteer for Obama. Actually, going back, I volunteered for John Kerry when I was in ninth grade. (laughs)
2: <laughs> first politician that inspired you was John Kerry. So you're kind of going in reverse. I remember I said most people start out young. They're uh, socialist. They're idealist. Uh, and then they worked their way uh, to the John Kerry type politicians. Right off the bat, you were like, I like John Kerry. Now, what was it about John Kerry that inspired uh, ninth grade uh, Robin Peterson?
0: Well, in eighth grade, we went to war with Iraq. And I was against that. Um, and so, um, Kerry seemed like an alternative to Bush.
2: He was an alternative yeah. to Bush. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, but think about your generation, Robin, just for a moment. Uh, your generation came of age. I always talk about this, stop it in, my, in your life. i like telling kids about stuff that went down in the 70s. It happened when I was alive. I think about what stuff has happened while you were alive in this century alone. And it kind of gets, it, it, it really is getting lost, uh, although the, the, the articles in the pap- front pages of, of the papers are saying a pro-Iran clash, a U.S. Embassy ends in Baghdad. Uh, the United States invaded uh, Iraq in 2003. Here we are 17 years later. Uh, our troops are still in uh, Iraq. There's talk about sending more in there because of the instability in the country uh that is an obvious remnant from of the invasion uh this is this this is sort of the um the background that your generation came of age in that's right uh and so what's the takeaway that you have from that
0: i think a lot of uh other members of dsa have gone through the same sort of Well, there were huge protests against the Iraq war and then we still went to war and uh, people were disillusioned. But then when Bernie ran on a platform where he was demanding the things people actually need and talking in a different way about politics, uh, presenting a a real vision that's an alternative to something like Trump's vision, um, that's when people got reactivated. Uh, People who had previously been on the liberal left side um who uh, heard his message and that resonated with them so a, a lot of that has uh, i think gone into dsa
2: mm-hmm. all right before we get in a little more specific about dsa i just want to take t- take people back to 2003 uh, when, when the United States announced the war, the invasion of Iraq, there was massive protests in Chicago, in the streets of Chicago, uh, and protesters uh, actually went over in Lakeshore Drive, shut down Lakeshore Drive. This is ancient history, 2003, I remember it. Uh, Mayor Daley at the time, Uh, was uh, his police (laughs) mass arrests of those protesters, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people thrown into jail. When the protesters came off a lakeshore drive, uh, they were basically surrounded uh, right around uh, the uh, water tower place and just thrown into uh, police vans and taken off to jail, hauled off to jail. And it had a very chilling effect, in my humble opinion, on mass protests in the city of Chicago. It was Mayor Daley's way of saying, you're not going to do this again. You're not going to embarrass my city. And people will talk about Mayor Daley's connections to uh, George Bush and the White House. They're very strong. They're very deep. When uh, George Bush wanted to celebrate his 60th birthday, he came to the city of Chicago not long after this, uh, Robin, and celebrated with Mayor Daley uh, Mm -hmm. at a restaurant in the South Loop. So this is stuff that happened in in uh, the lifetime of millennials uh, and the impact. Uh, this is the coalition, if you will, of Democrats and Republicans and the reaction they had to protesters of the, of the war. I'd just like to take that moment to give that little history lesson there. All right. Uh, why uh, a Democratic Socialist? Why aren't you not just a conventional Democrat?
0: There are a few things. Uh, the biggest one is that we view the... Uh, there being a fundamental conflict between the working class and um, bosses, uh, landlords, uh, the ruling class and the political elite in Chicago. So um, socialist to me acknowledges that there's this conflict in society um, and that what we need as a mass working class democratic movement uh, to uh, win control over workers' lives for workers.
2: And you don't see that coming from the Democratic Party?
0: No. Um, my, I come from a, fa- a family that's very involved in the Democratic Party, and I think like a lot of people identify strongly with it just because Republicans are so bad. <laughs> but the Democratic Party isn't an organization that's run democratically. And being a member, you're not really a member even. You don't pay dues. You don't have Democratic say over it. All you do is vote in elections, which aren't Democratic Party elections. So um, so I think, for instance, the organization we're trying to build, DSA, is totally different.
2: Let's give me some of the examples of how the DSA is different than the Democratic Party.
0: Well, the Democratic Party is a party of the 1% and corporations and and the capitalist class. It doesn't serve the interests of working class people. I think w- Chicago is a place where we see that all the time. Uh, you might It might be different in Kansas, where some of my family's from, where um, the Democratic Party is the minority, but here in Illinois and Chicago, where... The Democratic Party pretty much runs the city and state. Uh, we can see that it's still not run in the interests of working class people. Rahm Emanuel closing 50 schools, um, giving away money to corporations, TIF money. These are kind of the kind of things that a party that serve the interests of workers would not do.
2: And uh, so, what are some specific issues uh, that uh, you want to champion in the coming years? Uh, in the coming year, as uh, Democratic socialists.
0: Yeah, so uh, maybe I should give a little more background about what we did in the past year. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, our goal is to build a mass working class movement in Chicago. And to do that, one thing we do is work on, we run issue based campaigns for things like Medicare for All lift the ban on rent control, and um, we also have a campaign called Democratize ComEd to take public control of our electrical utility, which I can get into more later. Mm -hmm. And another thing we do is we help elect socialists to office. So in the past uh, municipal elections, six socialists were elected. Um, And currently we're we're going all in for the Bernie Sanders campaign because we are seeing that this is a time when people are being newly politicized, just like in 2016. So we want to reach those people who are hearing Bernie's message and talk to them about socialism and DSA.
2: All right. Uh, let's break them down. Rent control. Uh, talk about, uh, that particular fight.
0: Yeah. So that's the one I know the most about that's, I got involved in rent control in the fall of 2017. Uh, This is a fight uh, for people to be able to stay in their homes and their communities. And we know that in Chicago, it's no secret, it's getting harder to live here, harder to afford the city. Lots of people are leaving and especially people of color, working class people are leaving and neighborhoods are getting richer and whiter. So rent control is a way to put the brakes on the gentrification and displacement that's rampant in so many neighborhoods in the city right now. And it's the only tool that would have that rapid effect. Uh, We also wanna build more affordable housing, but we're demanding rent control so that uh, in a neighborhood like Pilsen or Woodlawn, where developers are snatching up buildings and speculating all over the place that the people who've lived there for generations can stay there.
2: How would rent control work?
0: Rent control would control the percentage that your rent could increase each month. So right now your landlord can raise your rent as much as they want, um, each year or each month if you don't have a lease. So under rent control, you'd know your rent would only go up like two or 3% a month, a year.
2: Uh, and so that would be uh, instituted in law. uh, There'd be a cap in law that would protect, uh, from rises beyond 2 or 3%.
0: Right, so usually it's done differently in different places, uh, but what we're demanding is that, basically, it's the same percentage as the consumer price index. So we know that things get more expensive through inflation, uh, but we don't think rent should go up more than that.
2: And uh, so who's championing this uh, in the state of Illinois? Who are some of the politicians uh, that are leading this charge?
0: So the campaign was started by four community organizations, the Kenwood Oakland Community Organization, Pilsen Alliance, the Lugenia Burns Hope Center, and Northside Action for Justice. And Chicago DSA joined the leadership in the spring of 2018. And uh, Gazzardi, Will Gazzardi has been the sponsor. Um, Delia Ramirez is also a, a supporter and um, Let's see, Robert Peters, state senator.
2: And so, are you? Is it already uh, uh, developing opposition, a blowback to it?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, if we think about the way the housing system works now, mm-hmm. it's uh, on the very um, close level. It's it's your landlord is making a profit off you paying rent, and then if you zoom out a little bit, um, in huge. Um, developers with cash are buying up neighborhoods. Uh, some of them just to uh, flip them and making, it's all about profit, but we think it should be about people's needs. So so the people who are making a profit off of housing are not surprisingly in opposition. So the Illinois realtors that have been in opposition to us, but um, <coughs> What we see is that people are, um, when they hear about our demand for rent control and they learn what it is, they want rent control. We've had referendums in wards across the city and it's always passed by about three quarters, so 75%.
2: There's another argument that's raised, I've seen this from uh, editorial pages, uh, that if you have rent control, that'll put that'll stifle development in the city of Chicago, that'll stifle investment in the city of Chicago, uh, that will prevent Chicago from growing at the rate that uh, we, the people who write these editorials, want it to grow at. Uh, it's anti-market, it's anti-capitalist, uh, uh, it works against the long-term interests of the city of Chicago. What's your response to that? That.
0: Well, it depends on what you mean by the interests of the city of Chicago. Um, if you're talking about working class people's interests, then rent control is absolutely in their interest. Uh, we're seeing um, five years of Illinois and Chicago losing population growth, like uh, one of the highest rates in the nation. Um, people are leaving because they can't afford the rent, and that's bad for the city. Uh, I think that uh, it makes for a more vibrant city a better city if people have strong communities that they know they're going to be able to continue to live in and build together.
2: Uh, one of the uh, the great theme one of the great questions is why people are leaving Illinois. The, I think there was just an article in the paper mm, two or three days ago. Don't quote me on that, but it was very, relatively recent. Latest census studies show that Illinois population has fell this year as, uh, as a trend that's continued for the last uh, decade, uh, and that Illinois, I believe. Is, has lost more people than any other state in the union over the last decade. Is only one of three that's lost. I'm doing this off the top of my head, Robin, but essentially that's the point. That's the drift. And people draw different conclusions. I have conclusions that I draw from this, uh, which I will refrain from staying now. Uh, the Chicago Tribune editorial board draws conclusions that are much different than mine. Their conclusion is that we have too much ma- taxes are too high uh, in the state of Illinois, and that's why people are leaving. And if we lower taxes in Illinois, we'll make it more like Wisconsin and Indiana which is like paradises uh, for the Chicago Tribune Editorial Board, and that people will stop leaving Illinois and come back to Illinois. So what's your reaction to that?
0: Well, once again, it's a question about who's paying the taxes. And I think that we need to see the rich paying more taxes. Um, This is something that has been uh, an important push on the part of the socialists and city council, as well as the progressives who are newly elected, uh, to have a budget that, uh, taxes the rich to fund the social, ser- the public services and goods that we need, the schools, affordable housing. We need to tax the rich to have those things. And I think those are important things to keep people in the city too. If your neighborhood school is closed, are you going to be able to stay in the city? Probably not.
2: So you're not afraid that if you tax the rich too much, the rich people will m- all move to Gary, Indiana? no. Okay, let's, you're not afraid of that as a consequence.
0: Well, I think that what we need to do is build a movement strong enough to keep them here. Um, the wealth belongs to the people who created it, and that's the workers in Chicago. All
2: right, let's talk about uh, helping elect more socialists to office. It was a pretty good year, uh, at least in the local lef- uh, elections for you. You said six uh alderman i'm trying to i can do it off the top of my head i can name them all but why don't you name them for us so i don't blow it and leave a name off
0: yeah so carlos rosa daniel espada carlos rosa 35th ward daniel espada in the first rosana rodriguez in the 33rd andre vasquez in the 40th byron Siegel lopez in the 25th and jeanette taylor in the 20th ward which was the campaign i worked on uh, this past winter as field director
2: Oh, you were maybe that's how maybe that's who recommended you, Jeanette Taylor. I remember I was like, can't oh, remember yeah. recommending you. Uh, Jeanette Taylor comes on the show, uh, one of our favorite guests uh, on the show. Now that's Ground Zero of this yeah. this sort of conflict, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, uh, Robin, because that's where the Obama Center is general area where the Obama Center is coming. Uh, rents are going up uh, all throughout that area, uh, and uh, the Obama Center somehow become a like, very sim- symbolic. Uh, a struggle uh, on this issue of affordability uh, versus development. And Jeanette is at the heart of it. Uh, She's going to figure that one out.
0: That's right. There's millions of dollars coming, public dollars, tax dollars, going towards that. Um, Also, lots of private investment. And um, a neighborhood like Woodlawn needs investment, but uh, the people who live there deserve to decide how that investment works and where it goes and who it benefits, it needs to benefit the people who live there now.
2: So what impact do you think the six uh, socialists, democratic socialists in the city council have had on politics already in terms of the latest uh, budget debate, et cetera?
0: Yeah. So one thing about them is that they ran on movements, uh, grassroots movements like rent control for affordable housing, for fully funded public schools, and those those demands got them elected. Um, so now what we're seeing is that they're able to um, continue to build those movements from their offices. So uh, within city council in the, the budget, um, which is an important fight spearheaded by uh, groups like United Working Families and Grassroots Collaborative uh, they've been able to say to vote against the budget and actually make that a contentious vote, um, saying that, again, that we should be taxing the rich um, in order to invest in things like public mental health clinics. They stood up to Lightfoot on that appointment of the uh, mental health department director who uh, uh, would not have reopened those closed mental health clinics. Uh, they've spoken out in support of the Chicago Teachers Union and Local 73 when they went on strike. So they've been able to use their platform to articulate this left poll and a different vision of how this city could work. All
2: right, very good. That's what uh, went down this year. We're going to take a break, come back. We'll close down by asking uh, Robin what she expects uh, from Democratic Socialists in the year to come. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.
1: Welcome back to the first Ben Jarofsky show of the year, 2020.
2: Yeah, 2020. Ben
1: Jarofsky, take us home.
2: we Will do. Robin Peterson uh, in the studio. We're going to ask her to take a look at her crystal ball, make some uh, thoughts, some predictions of what's ahead, political struggles ahead, uh, and yeah, maybe see what she thinks about Bernie Sanders' campaign, uh, et cetera, and so forth. But do we, before we do that, D, got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. I believe our good
1: friend on the YouTube live stream chat, one Johnny Joe. Johnny Joe as weighing in he uh has his crystal ball out as well had a quick question for you ben i got to scroll through a trivia question it. no not a trivia what question. was i doing in the year 1977 you wish all right johnny joe says dr d ask ben if he's still planning to vote for joe biden <laughs> He loves
2: Joe Biden, guys. Okay. Still not sure why. Okay, all right. Okay, Taking a lot of heat on this one. I was never planning to vote for Jolton Joe Biden, all right? I would say, um, okay, Castro's out of the race, so I have to reconfigure. If I had to rank my candidates, Democratic candidates, I am going to vote for whatever the Democratic nominees. is. Now, I don't know uh, if uh, Robin's in the same vote. I believe vote. they call that
1: vote blue no matter who.
2: I, yes. They, that's one way of saying it. Uh, among the candidates now, uh, I will vote for whoever is the nominee against Donald John Trump. No way. I'm not going to. I'm going to sit that one out. OK, so all right. Johnny
1: Joe's question, though, mm-hmm. is because uh, he's got his crystal ball out and he believes that uh, Joe Biden will choose Lindsey Graham as his running mate. <laughs> and he says, would you still vote for Joe Biden if he chooses Lindsey Graham wow. as his
2: running mate? Oh, my God. That's a tough one. Uh Wow. If Joe Biden is so dumb as to choose Lindsey Graham as his running mate, that would put me in a position where voting for Joe Biden would mean that Lindsey would be the president of the United States. God forbid if something happened to Joe Biden. Uh, what, who was the one who asked this question? This is
1: Johnny Joe. I think Johnny Joe got his hand on some of that uh, legal reefer. I was like, around. man, Johnny Joe, I got to tell you right now,
2: I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, it, but wait, I got to do my right. Yeah, it's not gonna, he's not going to pick Lindsey Graham, but it's a great question that got Ben in a corner. And your <laughs> response was, how about it, how about it, yeah. I don't really know how to answer that question, Johnny Joe. Johnny Joe may be a little stoned. I got to the tell you, today. man, Johnny Joe sounds like someone in my family. Hey, Ben, you love Biden so much. How about this? What if Joe Biden picks Lindsey Graham is his running mate. What are you going to do then, Ben?
1: We've been talking about money all throughout the show today. Money, money, money. Yeah, I don't have none, but we got stories about it. Nearly $3.2 million of marijuana products were sold in Illinois dispensaries on the first day of legal weed sales. We talked about that. And earlier we mentioned that one Andrew Yang uh, has, let's see here, he is, Andrew Yang has raised $16.5 million in the last three months according to his campaign, uh, the fourth quarter of 2019, where it is the highest that he's had in any such period. And, well, we have some more fourth quarter numbers here. President Trump, the Trump campaign says that it has raised $46 million in the fourth quarter.
2: That's some ah, frightening that's stuff 16 man.
1: million from Yang Really doesn't look like Much after that 46 mm. million dollars From the Trump campaign In the fourth quarter dim, uh, Dwarfing Democrats' halls
2: uh, Absolutely And what he's doing He's spending that money Just bombarding people With uh, internet advertisements Just promoting all kinds Of vile stuff To trying kind to. Of it into their heads, scare uh, uh, swing voters and Democrats into voting for him, using their fears of immigrants, people who look differently to them to get them to vote for them, uh, trying to mock and malign serious issues like climate change. We talked about that with Miles uh, Robin. About it's a very like very important, serious issue, obviously, duh. And and yet uh, Donald Trump is trying to trivialize and say, it doesn't matter, it's a made up hoax. Uh, no and that's, collusion. Thank you, Donald Trump. Yeah. So that's exactly what he's using that money for, and it's, yeah, so it's very tough. Uh, to, money talks, money uh, controls politics, I hate to say it, and you could use that money to brainwash people, see it happen all the time. D, I just did a f- really quick uh, survey, I don't know, I can't remember who is in and out of the race right now, because so many people have been dropping out, but right now, uh, my list would be just for Johnny Joe. Joe Biden is not my favorite in the race, I'm just Okay. Gonna, uh, I think right now, Joey's fifth. Uh, in the race. Bernie. He's the fifth today for Ben. Yes, in the race. today.
1: Uh, tomorrow, he could be first. He,
2: no, <laughs> he's not going to be first. Uh, he will not be a third come tomorrow. Uh, Bernie, Warren, Yang, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden. Of the people who are still in the race right uh, now. You're uh, who? I'm trying to think. Uh, Buttigieg is still in the race. Uh, let's see who else is still in there. Cory Booker. And Cory Booker and those charter schools that's where he lost me he was just like such a big supporter of charter school what's your uh list uh robin peterson do you have any li- any number uh other than one
0: Can i got go- bernie 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 and bernie okay
2: that's correct uh, that just uh, robin peterson yeah. that's cool <laughs> elizabeth warren's not on the list at all
0: uh, I'll vote for her if she's the nominee, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Right. I urge you to show up at the hideout first Tuesday in February and hear the great debate. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, a Democratic Socialist, That's right. uh, Alderman of the 35th Ward from Logan Square, will be debating Brandon Johnson uh, from the Chicago Teachers Union, Cook County Commissioner. Uh, Brandon is uh, will be supporting Elizabeth Warren and uh, uh carlos will be supporting bernie so it should be an uh, interesting debate maybe brandon can convince you that there's more merit uh to elizabeth warren than right now you uh, believe in uh all right your crystal ball what do you foresee uh in the year 2020.
0: so one thing i was thinking about today is what um former alderman of the 40th ward, ward pat o'connor said uh last august which was that um, who would ever think that you could run on being a democratic socialist, and that would be a good thing. And now he's no longer the alderman, there's a democratic socialist who's replaced him. So my prediction is that in the next uh, year, we're gonna see uh, a continued um, growth of democratic socialism as a movement, and a lot of that will come from Bernie supporters.
2: Uh, and uh, do you believe Bernie Sanders will be the nominee?
0: Yeah, I do. I hope he is because I think he's the one who can defeat Trump because he's activating people who aren't frequent voters, young people, people of color. These are the people we need to get get to the polls. We need new people to vote and we need um, youth and people of color. We need people um, becoming newly politicized and joining a movement, uh, both to elect Bernie, to defeat Trump, and uh, to win the things Bernie's running on.
2: All right, now, Robin Peterson, before we let you out the door, if folks wanna lo- learn more about the uh, Democratic Socialists, if they wanna join your campaign for rent control or any of these things, uh, Democratize, ComEd, uh, how do they get in touch with you?
0: You can visit our website, chicagodsa.org, And if you want to uh, see our events, chicagodsa.org slash events. And I'd encourage everyone uh, who, all those uh, Bernie supporters who are listening to come canvas with us this Saturday from 10 to 2. We've got three different locations, uh, the Daily Branch Library in Bridgeport, the Azazian Branch in Uptown, and the North Pulaski Branch. So uh, 10 a.m. this Saturday, come out.
2: All right, very good. Uh, Robin Peterson, thank you so much for stopping by. I also want to thank uh, Miles Kampflassen from In These Times. Every Thursday, he comes on the show. It's a delight talking politics with him. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend. Wait, wait, hold on,
1: what? hold on. Jay Marie on the YouTube live stream chat brought something up, and I'm glad she did. Okay. I thought Ben loved Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Yeah, what happened to
2: her? Where's my button? You did
1: love Marianne Williamson. Where's my button? I put all your crap Uh, down here on the floor. Oh (laughs) okay. I had a Marianne Williamson button.
2: (laughs) Uh, this is my favorite button, by the way. Oh, that's right. There Oh, well, no, that's the Bernie button. There
1: again, you go. The Bernie reefer button.
2: Uh, you know, I flirted. I flirted with a lot of them. Uh, remember when I was drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid? Oh, yeah. People forget that. Well, you still do every now and again. Every now and then. Uh, Kamala, you know, uh, I really appreciated uh, Kamala Harris uh, for the uh, the attack on Joe Biden in the first debate. I don't know if you remember that, Robin, where she talked about uh, busing and, the, uh, uh, and Joe Biden's uh, past where he was an ally of some of... Uh, uh, on, on uh, like the Strom Thurmonds of the world. It's I believe
1: there was a point uh, where you had some Tulsi Kool Aid as well, wasn't there?
2: Uh, you know, I Tulsi. I never really drenched myself in the Tulsi Kool Aid. Uh, I, I flirted with it, and then Ramana Hussein and uh, Samina Mustafa really set me straight on Tulsi. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I like Tulsi again. Okay, Tulsi's. Uh, the, the, I think about the Tulsi's. Confrontation with Pete Buttigieg in the debate where they were talking about foreign policy and uh, intervention in other countries. I don't know if you remember this, Robin. Where she chastised him for suggesting that the United States invade Mexico. He said he was. She was distorting his position and exaggerating it. But it was an interesting uh, moment in the in the. Uh, I've always had my issues with Tulsi. I'll be honest with you, Dee. I'll be. Uh, the, the Tulsi, the, and I, she really where she lost me was on the vote uh, for impeachment, where she voted present. And I'm mean, like, come on, Tulsi, <laughs> you know, you just, vote no. If you're against, if you don't think they have a case against Donald John Trump, vote no. Nobody's fooled with the present vote. Well, Ben. Uh, so anyway, I was not really drenched in the Tulsi cool.
1: Sad news here. Uh, we got uh, updates as soon as we mentioned Marianne Williamson from both Pat Whalen and Frank. Frank and Pat, what's happening? Uh, Marianne Williamson, it says here, lays off her entire campaign
2: staff. So, oh. looks like we're preparing for uh, Marianne Williamson that, to drop out. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'm really surprised uh, by that. D, uh, we got remember we interviewed Marianne Williamson mm-hmm. uh, at uh, here about a couple months ago. So. Um. Marion Williamson's great contribution, I'll give her credit, was on, um, which debate was that? Uh, Was she talking reparations? I thought that was a great contribution she made and, of course, was immediately forgotten uh, as the race went on. So, anyway, I'm not really drenching myself in the Marion. I was more of a Kamala Kool-Aid person. Let's get it straight. All right. So there you go, everybody. That update brought to you by (laughs) Kool-Aid. All right. Uh, Where was I? Oh, yes. I'm finishing the show. I was thanking Miles. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend back home uh, in Alton, Illinois, Robin. They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
1: No one calls me that. And remember, you can download previous Ben Dropski shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews of both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. The top five uh, Chicago and or Illinois stories of 2019 are posted. Go find out what those top five stories are and download that. And downloaders, you know we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Shout out to everyone on the YouTube live stream chat going back and forth, having a good time. Even you, PC Amnesty. Take care, everybody.